Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today we have a special guest expert on the show. And we're going to talk about something, honestly, that probably should have been on the list sooner here on the podcast. It's a probably underutilized, underappreciated treatment that we use pretty frequently here at MCHD, but we've just not hit on. We're going to talk about nitrous oxide in both EMS and really across uh, emergency medicine and pediatric emergency medicine. We're lucky enough to have special guests with us from Texas Children's Hospital, Dr. Corey Champatazzi, and I'm going to let her introduce herself so I don't screw up her multiple titles because I will fumble through them all. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Champatazzi. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thanks for having me. I'm Corey Champatazzi, a pediatric emergency medicine physician at Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's, where I focus my education, research, and process improvement on pain management and procedural sedation. I also chair the Sedation Oversight Committee for the hospital, so that's where nitrous oxide comes in, as we started using it in our EDs about uh, 10 years ago now. this we I'd say we probably had it on the trucks here at MCHD for about that same amount of time. I've been here in Conroe for about uh, 11 or 12 years, and I pretty distinctly recall it being used pretty regularly. And honestly, it's not something that I really trained with in residency, and I won't date myself it wasn't really available in our program, but the first community hospital that I worked in after residency, we had the Nitronox machine, and I became quite fond. I was a little scared at first, and about the same time I started thinking, can I use this crazy little cart with a couple blue tanks on it for patients? Is this safe? Do I need procedural sedation, um, documentation, and monitoring? I took my youngest to the pediatric dentist for the first time and saw folks lined up along the back row with nitrous on and there was no procedural sedation paperwork and and monitoring and and all of that at least not what was overly invasive so i was a little bit sold both by personal experience and then by an older physician who i worked with there who was a nitrous fanatic and really really sold me on its benefits but before we get into the nitrous oxide details um Tell the listeners a little more about yourself, you know, how long you've been in the area and really, you know, how nitrous applies to your personal practice. Because realistically for the medics, you know, we take a lot of our peds patients to Texas Children's here in the Woodlands. And so the MCHD folks for sure will be will be definitely interested in how this applies to your practice because it pretty directly relates to theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And as you noted, um, it's been used in the dental practice for, for decades. Um, and we love it in the ED because it works fast. It's one of the fastest analgesics with onset in minutes and peak effect about five minutes. And so if you have your patient with a deformed forearm or um, whatever it may be, you can get that mask on and get that pain relief quickly. Um, in addition, the patient returns to baseline quickly. And so we really love that once that gas is off and you can give uh, 100% oxygen, they um, can breathe normally throughout um, and it has minimal side effects or risks so we do really love it for minimal to moderate um, painful procedures and you don't like you said have to take that long time to wake up and and resource utilization that that some other methods of sedation need so just some more on basics you know how how does nitrous work you know it's got its share of fanatics but oftentimes it does get overlooked you know, and you kind of hit on some of um, some of its value, at least in my eyes, is quick on, quick off. Uh, what are some other sort of tidbits 
and I have a few of, of mine, I think you'll hit on them, but that make it such a valuable tool. Yeah, so uh, uh, as you know, nitrous oxide is an odorless, colorless gas and a, a potent pain reducer. So it also decreases anxiety while providing that amnesia, which is so helpful, um, especially in the kids or, or adults who are really um, stressed out about some of these procedures, so they don't remember it. Um, and usually we, um, most administrations start off with more of a 50% concentration um, mixed with oxygen, um, and there can be those fixed delivery systems or systems where you can titrate up um, to 70% concentration. And so that um, higher doses are a little bit more effective in some of that severe pain. And then remembering that it's always administered with oxygen such that we don't cause asphyxia. And all of the systems that are developed these days um, have those protocols and safety checks in place. So yes, we don't we don't go much above 70% really. And that's limited most of the time by the device itself. And as we start to get up higher, we do get into sort of some of the other issues as well. Let's kind of make this a two-part question. What are the side effects that EMS providers should anticipate and how common are they? And this is one really for, for new folks out there, a lot of the, uh, the, old, the old heads I know that have, that have used this for a while and have this sort of shoehorned in their practice, know exactly what to expect and you know the quick on, quick off. And the self-administered nature uh, of nitrous is always really valuable, but what are, what are some of the side effects how should those present? How should they be anticipated? And how common are they? Yeah, well, the really great thing about the amount of time that we use nitrous in, in our hosp- in the ED as well as in your EMS settings is, is we use shorter lengths of time, and that really helps us out from the side effects standpoint. Um, nearly 96% of kids in a large study of 88,000 patients had no adverse events. Um, so the biggest side effect we see are nausea and vomiting, and really that's only about 2% of the kids. Um, and they preserve their gag reflex. They're able to vomit. Um, and so if even if they do... Um, you know, they don't remember it. Um, some do experience a little bit of dizziness or headache or euphoria, um, but really it's an extremely um, low-risk um, medication, and really only 0.1% of patients experience oxygen desaturation, less than 92%, and there's not really been much um, reported apnea. So um, that keep in mind that's with nitrous alone. If you're combining opioids or other medications, that um, risk of nausea and vomiting may increase a little bit, but overall um, it's an extremely safe medication. So in our youngest folks, hopefully we're not dealing with polysubstance users and abusers. And in our older teens, that definitely is a possibility. And like any sedative or any pain medication that we use on a daily basis, we have to consider the fact that the patients could have more on board than nothing. And that, you know, monitoring is is vital, whether that's, you know, a pre-administration blood glucose, whether that's, you know, oxygen saturation, continuous monitoring, vitals before and after, all those things that are foundations of pain management and sedation in EMS in emergency medicine. So for the MCHD listeners out there, at least, that shouldn't be a, a shocking idea that you're going to need to monitor your patients before and after you administer any pain medication or any sedative. Thinking back to some of the, the basics that you talked about and, you know, the mode of action and some of the, the good that we get with nitrous, really, it made me think analgesia, amnesia, quick on, quick off. You know, it's almost like ketamine without the undesirable side effects that we we deal with there in sort of, uh, I guess we go ketamine light. So if you're not on the nitrous train, you know, everybody in emergency medicine, Dr. Dixon and I talk about this all the time, we're we're, uh, ketamine-aholics around here and it it is a great medicine and I'd 
I, I'm not, I'm a little bit speaking in jest, but you know, everybody goes to the church of ketamine. So if you could use ketamine light, quick on, quick off, minimal side effects, who wouldn't be, wouldn't be on board there. So. Yeah, and I think my quick note on ketamine is really um, the large multi-systems trials across um, uh, Canada um, and the U.S., ketamine is a fantastic sedation agent, um, and really ketamine alone um, um, does is, is the answer for so many of p- the painful procedures in children especially. So um, I love that. And like you said, that amnesia is really big for our kids. Um, I had a patient that was really, she didn't want to vomit, didn't want to vomit, didn't want to vomit, and um, gave her the nitrous, and sure enough, mid-procedure, she vomited. Um, and then um, and still had some uh, substance on her her gown and so when she woke up she was like oh this was just so amazing I'm so glad I didn't vomit Um, and you're standing there and they're like oh well actually Um, and so that amnesia is is really fantastic so and just a little ketamine aside there probably leads us into the next question pretty well because there are some patients where nitrous would be contraindicated and I guess I would lead with the first group of patients is really the severe pain patients, the ones with, you know, the open femurs, um, you know, open humerus fractures, the really painful or prolonged exposures or prolonged, you know, need for sedation procedures. Those are ones where we would probably want to go up to the next level with ketamine. It's, it's my drug of choice. I, I, I'm sure it is yours as well. And those in those type situations where we really have an uber painful or a long longer type procedure where we're going to need a little more a little more time and a little more depth what are some of the other spots where nitrous would be contraindicated where we might not want to use it yeah, that's a really great question. And so I think number one, um, you know, because it's a, a gas and can expand and trap spaces, really any multi-trauma patient where there's suspicion for air where it shouldn't be. So if you're concerned for a pneumothorax or pneumopericardium, air where um, that gas can kind of travel into those spaces and expand with pressure, um, it shouldn't be used. So same thing a little bit with the intracranial pressure or if they've had recent eye surgery, which happens in some of, you know, more so like our premature infants, um, uh, you know, or an occluded middle ear, those types of things where you just really don't want to um, have that gas expanding. And then if you really do need um, that that neuro exam um, in, um, in, in in severe head trauma and those types of things, may may want to choose um, another agent. Similarly, we use um, pregnant patients in our first trimester as a, as a contraindication due to the lack of um, data really on that, that toxicity. So that's one where you might want to craft a specific question for the EMS listeners out there, you know, preemies with retinal surgery, probably not going to see a ton of those in the truck. Uh, You know, major trauma probably should just be a contraindication because they probably need more than, than nitrous. You can throw in uh, gas and trap spaces, pneumothoraces, pneumopericardium, pneumomediastinum, pneumocephalus. There's lots of spots where gas can be if somebody gets bashed up pretty good. But honestly, the most common thing you might want to ask about that I heard in there that we're probably going to see tenfold relative to the others is have you had a recent ear infection? Because give somebody that had a recent ear infection, got some some clogged middle ear, uh, extra gas, potential for ruptured TM there, could be pretty darn painful. Uh, As someone who had an adult... Otitis media several years ago and ruptured my TM. Not exactly pleasant. It was actually kind of pleasant when it ruptured, but that period between pressure building and rupture definitely was not pre- not pleasant. So it might be a, just a quick question you want to throw in there when thinking about contraindications and really conceptually just think about the fact that nitrous is a gas. It can expand. 
And so if you've got uh, pressure concerning situations, that will be one where you want to be really careful. Here at MCHD, we've utilized nitrous again for some time, and I don't have the exact date when we rolled this out. It was pre, pre my arrival, and I arrived sometime in 2015. So it's been been several years. For so a lot of the MCHD listeners out there know my know nitrous, have used it, and are comfortable with it. Our protocol is written for mild to moderate pain. So after listening to the expert across from me uh, tell me that's where she uses it in her practice, I feel pretty good that our protocols. In, in decent shape as far as how that sounds. We have a fixed uh, administration device. We use it at a 50-50 concentration. Uh, again, you probably don't get quite as much pain relief and anti-anxiety amnesia at 50-50 as you would at 60-40 or 70-30. And again, that's just the division for the non-familiar folks. That 50-50 is 50% nitrous oxide, 50% oxygen. As you go up in nitrous concentration, you're going to go down in oxygen at the same um, proportion. As you go up, you also get increased nausea and increased side effects. But if you were talking to new medics out there and you wanted to give some tips, what expert tips will you give to new folks using nitrous for the first time? And I admittedly am going to steal these um, and add these to our uh, new employee orientation uh, tidbits. So uh, just pre-warning, these are going to get stolen. <laughs> well, I love that. And we love sharing information. So I think the, um, like you mentioned, most, uh, or, or I think more commonly using that fixed um, nitrogen, especially in the EMS um, setting. And so then you're not bouncing around as much on the concentration. And that's really where in the ED as well, um, we see more nausea and vomiting if you're going up, down, up, down on those on those concentrations. Um, and then from an ED standpoint, most of, we use that, um, you know, independent um, systems rather than piped into the walls just from um, a the the onset like you said over the last couple decades it's been used more and so um, buildings weren't weren't built like that but I think as far as other tips and tricks um, it's really helpful you can start with having the patient um, hold the the mask themselves Um, you know we're in Houston asthma capital of the world and most kids are even comfortable with their um, their their masks for their nebulizer treatments and so the masks getting them comfortable with the mask is a first um, kind of step and so having them hold it a little bit, but remembering that as they get a little bit more um, of that nitrous effect, they're not going to be able to hold it effectively. So having somebody um, designated to kind of help hold that mask, encourage them to breathe slowly, and really um, distract them and help um, using one voice to talk to them to really um, get them engaged and get them breathing in with that good air, out with that bad air, you know, and tell stories, have them watching the video on the iPhone, those kind of things really do does help, you know, with some of the guided imagery and other kind of things we use in kids to help distract and get them engaged with the treatment. Ooh, I like that. So I'm going to repeat some of those because these are ones, especially in the loud truck, especially when we're not always as I would say focused on, on the child themselves. You know, we've got all the operational things going on. We're, we're trying to get off scene. We're trying to manage scene time. We're trying to decide on destination determination. It really is important, especially in kids, probably in adults as well, honestly, that we're trying our best to speak in one voice. I think it's really important when you got two or three people, you know, trying to talk to a seven or eight year old, it's just not going to go very well. They're not going to respond to that very well. And then use the tools that you have in front of you. And as the proud owner of a, a bunch of teenagers, they're going to have their screens with them. Uh, their parents are going to have their screens. That's just, that's the way of the world today. If 
if you find a kid out there that doesn't have their screens with them, please let me get in contact with their parents and figure out how in the world they did it. Um, because they're just ubiquitous and it's, it's the way of the world, but they've got, you know, Paw Patrol or some YouTube, something, um, I don't know. My kids are watching the, uh, you know, Netflix and, and everything else constantly. So they've got some show that they're into or some, some cartoon or something like that that you can use to help distract them. And then the self-administrated portion really was probably the part that sold me and both adults and kids way back when. And it's when they get too deep, the mask falls off and, you know, they, they, they tend to wake up. So I've heard stories out there of folks in the past using tourniquets and other elastic type things and securing devices to secure the mask to the face with with kids and with adults and nitrous I'm not a huge fan of this practice because really the the self-administrated aspect of it is is really kind of a fail-safe um, I don't I don't know if you do you guys secure the masks at Texas Children's or do you always allow self-administration to sort of fall off uh, yeah we don't use the secure um straps on it. We usually have somebody holding it with them just because of the nature of our, our setting. I think um, from an EMS standpoint, you brought up a lot of points. Like it's it's a crazy environment. You've got a lot of things going on. It's the worst day for this these people's lives. Um, and so um, having, you know, something to hold it on, I think I think is fine. And if you've got somebody monitoring them. And then, you, as you mentioned, just asking them questions. What, what music are they listening to? What um, show are they into? Tell them about their favorite Paw Patrol character, which is huge, um, right? now and so that usually can get a lot of them and so you get them focused on things um, that are not all the distracting scary lights and sirens and all these people that they haven't seen before and get them focused on you know something that they like and enjoy and they're taking better nice slow breaths getting more of that medication on board and I'd say even just some of that guided imagery too if you can distract them I had asked a patient um, you know what did she do recently on vacation as she was getting her nitrous and she said she was swimming in Florida and so I asked her about um, you know had she swim with dolphins and she kind of chuckled like no of course not I'm like okay well let's imagine you're swimming with the dolphins and you're racing and through the water and you're feeling that the the water splash your face and um you know took it around a little um trip of, of her swimming with the dolphins and when she woke up she went and had a um you know painful procedure in the OR um, and that but when she woke up she's like oh you find that blonde doctor and give her my regards because we had the best time swimming with the dolphins and so she could really um, remember that aspect of it and not the whole um, scary OR prep and everything else so I think um, that that little bit of time you can take on the front end to, to spend 30 minutes or 30 seconds or a minute couple minutes to really get them a little bit comfortable with that mask not just holding it on them although if they are crying like we said they are taking better good breaths and they're getting that medication on board um, but we do like to um, take a little bit of time have them take those deep breaths and get comfortable with the mask and it, it can um, uh, give you lots of, of benefits in the long run and if you're you know not as touchy-feely if you're in my camp some of you might be out there saying to yourself oh my gosh we gotta you know take them on their vacation swims really but just like ketamine <clears throat> there's pretty darn good evidence that taking folks to their happy place pre and post sedation is really valuable in minimizing sort of the emergence type reaction and sort of some of those those bad feelings that can can occur both before and after. So you probably should lump this in really to all your sedations, especially with pediatrics. It's really helpful. And there's actually I know you all hate when I say it, but there's data out there that supports that. And, you know, we 
underestimate how chaotic our setting is. It's what we're used to because we're in the truck all the time and we're on the back of the truck. This is their worst day. I, I think it's a, it's very reasonable to assume that most of the time when we're taking care of, you know, any pediatric trauma where we're going to try to use a sedative, a, you know, a mild to moderate pain medication, whether we're giving them pain dose ketamine or nitrous oxide or whether we're, you know, full on dissociating the patient with ketamine, probably odds are that's their worst day. So to try to think about, you know, their psychological well-being on top of their all the physiology and all the anatomy and all the reduction and, and, and pain control that we're doing otherwise, it's a big part of it because they're, they are going to remember this day probably for the rest of their lives. And we have a role in potentially softening that. So that's, that's a really, really important point. And so, I think, uh, as you said, um, as they, they're, they're going to go um, wake up the way they go down and you have a couple of those emergent reactions and those, those kind of very, um, you know, disoriented wake ups. And, and you can, if you can prevent that in any way, I think um, uh, that's a fan- fantastic thing to try to do. Well, this has been a really excellent intro talk to nitrous. Hopefully we've got some converts out there if I was in church, I'd pass the plate and ask for an altar call and see if somebody wanted to come get come get saved on nitrous because, honestly, I really think it's an excellent addition to our pain control and sedative toolbox in emergency medicine in the emergency department just based on quick on, quick off, lack of side effects, and really, you know, excellent action profile. So let's leave the listeners with some high points. What are, what are your must-know take-home points for the for the nitrous oxide exam? And no MCHD listeners out there, there's no nitrous oxide exam coming unless you want to get some uh, continuing education credits. And we will write up some quiz questions for that so you can get CE for the podcast if you're interested. But nothing's going to be forced on you. This is the imaginary nitrous quiz. What are some <laughs> nitrous quiz take-home points? Fantastic. Well, I think, as we said, nitrous is a great tool to have in your toolbox. It provides really the trifecta we're looking for in an agent. So that analgesia, amnesia, and um, axiolysis or, or decreased anxiety. It's fast on and it's really safe with very few side effects. And so I think if you have the opportunity, um, as with any medication or new modality, is, is get an experience from folks who have used it. Um, and, and that really does help with your comfort level and experience. And um, I hope you have um, go forth and uh, provide adequate pain and, and sedation to, to the kids that on your trucks because we really appreciate everything you do every day. Awesome. Well, it's a great spot for us to wrap up. Again, I really appreciate having Dr. Chempatazi on. It's always great to have our local specialists involved in the EMS system, in our educational programs. You guys, when you're delivering folks to Texas Children's here in the Woodlands, you're very likely to see her at some point and have at some point down the line. And so that's, thank you for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate that partnership because, you know, the care begins with the phone call to dispatch to our arrival to the scene and then we deliver to our local eds and and it's taken over from there and the more feedback and input and teaching we can have from our local hospital partners the better from my standpoint so i really appreciate you coming on and hopefully this is just a start and we can talk ketamine and midazolam and all kinds of other good sedative pain control anxiolysis stuff going forward anything else you want to add before we wrap up no i think thank you so much for having me and for the fantastic care you provide every day awesome well if you're listening out there please leave us a like or review wherever you listen to podcasts five stars if you leave us four stars 
That'll probably hurt my feelings. It'll definitely hurt Dr. Dixon's feelings. As always, if you have questions or concerns, leave us an email at podcast at mchd-tx.org. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to everyone again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.